Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Something the matter? Why are you staring at me? Well, I guess nice church people like you, you've probably never seen a hooker before. Well, take a look. My name's Gomer. Yep, I'm the one. My reputation precedes me, as they say. But you know what? There are two sides to every story. And... I guess, I guess this is mine. I was just minding my own business. It's not the best business in the world. I'll give you that. But do you think I would be doing this if I had any other options? If there was literally anything else I could do? So like I said, I was minding my own business. And one of the girls comes over to me. She says, there's a guy here to see you. Well, clearly that's not unusual. So I went out to see him and this guy, he was unusual. He was one of those, I guess you'd call him a prophet, you know, stands on the street corner, yells at people to repent, all fire and brimstone and thus saith the Lord. Not my usual customer. But he wasn't on a street corner. He was here and he wasn't yelling. He was talking to me. So I look right at him and I say, mister, I'm expensive. You can't afford me. And you know what he said to me, this prophet? He says, that's no problem. I'm going to pay you for the rest of your life. (laughs) Seriously, what does that even mean? So now I'm thinking, okay, so this guy's a nut job. I got to get out of here. And as I'm trying to leave, he stops me and he says, will you marry me? (laughs) Okay, now we know for sure he's crazy. I mean, he just met me, and, well, let's just say I'm not exactly his type. He is a good man, a righteous man, a godly man. He should be with a good woman, someone maybe like one of you here, not someone like me. I'm not exactly the wife and mother type. But then I... I think about it a little bit more and I think, you know, this could be my chance. This could be the way that I get out of this terrible life that I'm in. And so I say, what the heck? What have I got to lose? And I follow him home. And you know, life with Hosea, that's my crazy prophet's name. Life with Hosea, it's not so bad. He's kind and loving, takes care of me. And he's pretty easy on the eyes if I'm honest. And I'm just not used to being loved, taken care of. In fact, just the opposite. I'm used to being thrown around, beaten up, taken advantage of, abused. We did have one big fight, though. Hosea told me that the reason he married me was because God told him to marry a prostitute. (laughs) Well, 
you know, that's kind of insulting. So I was a little upset. Okay, a lot upset. Okay, fine. I was hysterical. But Hosea, he just has this way about him. He calms me down and soothes my fears. He reminded me that he actually did love me. And somehow I believed him. I think he did love me always, right from the beginning. You know, Hosea didn't always talk about God all the time in every breath, every moment of every day. (laughs) At least not until he found out that I was going to have a baby. I have never seen a person more excited in my entire life. He ran all over the entire house, screaming at the top of his lungs, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! It's happening just like he said it would! Praise the Lord! (laughs) And I, I wasn't even sure how I felt about having a baby. I never really pictured myself as a mother. And then I was going to have a kid around all the time. I mean, it was bad enough having Hosea hovering around, looking over my shoulder constantly, and now I'd have a baby? How I was going to take care of another person, I had no idea. I could hardly take care of myself. But then my son was born. I didn't know that it was possible to feel joy like that. When I looked at this tiny baby, he was so vulnerable. He needed me so badly. And you know what? To me, he was perfect. The weirdest thing about becoming a mom was just how normal it was for me. I was just like every other brand new mom. I was totally enthralled with my son. And when he was asleep on my chest, looked down at his head, and I was moved. You know, I've never told anyone this. I was moved to pray. I thanked God, Hosea's God, for my perfect little baby and for my loving husband. I had this life that I never thought I could have. It was stable. It was happy. It was good. Unfortunately, all that changed when it came time to name the baby. Hosea tells me that he's going to name the baby Jezreel. What kind of a name is Jezreel for a baby? Hosea said God told him that that would be the baby's name. God was always telling Hosea something or other. And I asked him, how could this possibly be the name that God wanted for him? And Hosea explained that God was trying to tell the people of Israel something, that he was going to punish the king for the murders that Jehu had committed at Jezreel, that God said, I'm going to bring an end to Jehu's dynasty, and at the valley of Jezreel, I will destroy Israel's military power. (sighs) Who cares? I mean, I was so angry. I was furious. How dare Hosea and his God use my little baby as their messenger? What had he ever done to deserve a name like Jezreel? Little did I know then, though, how good I actually had it. (laughs) I should have gotten out while I was ahead. But I could tell that Hosea was trying to be a good husband, and for the first time in my life, I was trying to be good, too. So I didn't leave. Not then. It wasn't long before I was pregnant again. Jezreel was still a baby. And I threw a temper tantrum, of course. I mean, 
what do you expect, really? But Hosea, he was excited about the baby. He pampered me and took care of me. And I really wanted to be a good wife, even if it was to a crazy prophet. And I wanted to be a good mom, even if it was to a baby named Jezreel. When this baby was born, she was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. Her skin was so soft, pink and delicate, like a little flower. She was so fragile, breakable. And I knew she needed me to take care of her. And Jezreel, with a name like that, he certainly needed me. And Hosea, strong as he was, somehow Hosea needed me too. They needed me, Gomer, the prostitute, the hooker. Things were okay with my little family. We were happy. Until God had to butt in again. This time, he told Hosea to name my precious baby girl unloved. Unloved! Who does that? At this point, I figure not only is Hosea crazy, but God has lost it too. This is absolutely not a good name for a child. Hosea got angry at me when I questioned him. He said, Gomer, don't you understand what a privilege it is to be God's messenger? God is using me to share things with his people. Isn't that wonderful? Somehow the wonder of it escaped me. Hosea, I said, you can't name a baby unloved. Nobody does that. She's going to grow up to be neurotic. He said, God told me. End of discussion. So I pouted. But clearly not long enough because before Unloved was walking, I was pregnant again. <laughs> You'd think I'd learned my lesson, but I never seemed to. There was just something about Hosea that hooked me every time. I didn't think that I could fall in love. I was too damaged, too broken. I wasn't that kind of girl. And yet, somehow, in spite of me, when it happened, I loved Hosea. I needed him. And that terrified me. So when this baby came, I just went right to Hosea and I said, okay, what strange name does God have for this one? And he said, not my people. The child's name is not my people. <sighs> now, <laughs> you can judge me if you want. And I know I should be patient and long-suffering and stay with my children. But this was the last straw for me. I mean, can you imagine calling them in for dinner? Jezreel, unloved, not my people. Come in, it's time to eat. What a joke. I couldn't stay. Not in that neighborhood with everyone looking down on me and laughing at my husband and making fun of my children. It's just too much. As soon as not my people was old enough, I left. I went to the temple of Baal. I mean, Baal's a god, but at least he doesn't mock me the way Hosea's god does. And I don't mind telling you that I was beautiful in my time, and lovers paid handsomely to spend time with me. I was given lots of lavish gifts, expensive clothing, perfume, jewelry. I had every luxury a woman could want, and I didn't have any of the headache of dealing with a crazy prophet for a husband. But in my off moments, 
I would think about my babies, and I would wonder, what are they doing? How have they changed? Who's taking care of them? Do they, do they even remember me? And then I would think about Hosea, his handsome face, so gentle and kind. But then his features would shift, turn cold and demanding, and I'd hear his voice in my head. No, Gomer, not like that, Gomer. That's not what a righteous woman would do, Gomer. (sighs) Righteous. Hosea was so obsessed with being righteous. Hosea always had to be right. And I was always wrong. Try to tell me what God said about it. As if I wanted to know what his God said. His God had ruined everything. But then one day, I saw a familiar figure at the temple gates. He was talking to the priest and paying him a lot of money. And when he turned, I saw his face. It was Hosea. My Hosea. He came and took my hands and he said, Gomer, I love you. I have bought you back and I will return you to your family. I was crying. And he said, you will have to wait for me for a very long time. And while you do, you must stay faithful. You may not commit adultery or work in prostitution. And I will also wait for you. And he told me that he would take me home to the children. That when I was ready to return to him, he would receive me. You know me. You see me. You know who I am and what I've done. No prize. But Hosea still loves me. He still wants me. Have you ever heard of a love so great? A love so forgiving? Hosea was ready to erase all my mistakes, to welcome me home. He said that it was his God who showed him to love like this. His God that I had spent so much time and energy struggling against and running away from. That his God loved me like this. And if that's true, if God loves me like that, forgives me that much, cares for me that deeply, maybe... Maybe that's a God that I could love, a God I could follow, a God that could show me the way home to my husband, my family. Maybe. Wow. And we spent the last three weeks talking about this love triangle between Hosea and Gomer and God. It's been this back and forth relationship, uh, and to hear, to hear it this way that how Joanna just described it, um, it changes it for me. I hope it changes it for you. Let's thank Joanna for that. It was beautiful.
You know, when I, when I read the book of Hosea, um, it's difficult for me to engage with this story. It's difficult uh, because I don't live the life of a prophet. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a prostitute. I uh, uh, don't know any prostitutes. And while I have experienced the love of God, I still struggle with understanding it in its fullest context. The way that Gomer understood it. This context of a, of a man who will marry a prostitute, build a family with her, and watch her leave that family and go back to a life of prostitution and then finally buy her back fully so that, so that he can rescue her from being a sex slave. That's what happened here in this story. That's what God wanted Hosea to demonstrate to God's people. And today we're, we're going to focus on the very last chapter of, of this book. It's Hosea chapter 14. But I do want to begin at the very end. I, I want to I start there because this is a text, this is a verse that's actually written to us, written to the people of God, people who'd want to follow him, uh, and the people who would come after this story. After Hosea chapter 3, the text becomes a much more prophetic explanation of what Hosea has done with his relationship with Gomer. Um, there, there are clear parallels between the Hosea and Gomer story and what um, God wanted to show Israel and Judah. So through these next 10 chapters, um, God is speaking to his chosen people, the people of Israel about their choices, about the way that they've turned from him, and about the way that God wants to love his people. Remember, this is just a prequel, prequel really, for Jesus. It's important for us today to meditate on the fact that this text really shows us a picture of Jesus. The person of God coming to us, living a perfect life, suffering for us, paying the ultimate price so that we could be rescued from our sinful life, forgiving us completely, for all the things that we've done from turning our backs on God. That's what the story is about. Hosea 14.9 reads this way. The words are on the screen. Please um, turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. It says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This last verse of Hosea, it's written to us to say that whoever follows these things, that which is written all the way through uh, the rest of the text of Hosea, particularly there in, in the rest of 14 as well, whoever uh, follows these things will experience the goodness and the flourishing of God. This is, these, are the, these are some of the words that describe all of what people who follow God will experience. Salvation, freedom, mercy, patience, abundance, and protection. So today I want to talk about what we have to know before we get there, what we have to do. And, and, and this is the hard part for me, and I imagine it's probably difficult for you as well. Um, because for us to fully understand this, to let it become part of our lives, we have to figure this out. That we are the whore in this story. We are Gomer. Now I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a whore. I don't want to be known as a whore I don't want that to be my identity. But I, I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even really want to be Hosea in this story. Not for the same reasons that he had to deal with, but, but because I, I don't think I would want a life that, um, like his where he had to suffer 
in the way he did. But at the end of the day, we need to understand that we are the whore. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're the ones who are offered a new life in Jesus Christ. But so frequently, we turn our backs on God. And we go our own way. Just think about this for a minute. Just be honest with yourself. The sin that we have in our lives, our sin, is what causes us to stumble, to stray from God. And, and for many of us, I know it's true for me, that list of sins is long. And, and, and I think that we can get overwhelmed believing that because we have such a long list of sins that there's really no way that we can come back into a full relationship with Jesus and live the life that he desires for us. Am I right? It's true for me. But the story of Hosea is really not about the whore. It's not about us. Yes, she's a character in the story, and therefore we have an appearance in the story as well. But this story is about something else altogether. It's about the character of the love of God. Not just that God loves us, but the purpose of this story is to show us the type of love that God has for us and has for the whore. It's a love that's relentless. A love that doesn't stop coming. A love that is endless. God's love for us is relentless. That's the purpose of the story. When we fail, when we make a mistake, when we willfully turn our backs on God, he's patient in his anger. His love is relentless. He comes back for us. He purchases us. He loves us. So God demonstrates this kind of love in the first three verses of chapter 14. Read along with me. God says this, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. It's because of your sin that you've stumbled. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all of my iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, God, the orphan finds mercy. So God is saying, return to me. Return to me and I will be merciful to you. Whatever sin that we've committed, whatever has caused us to stumble or stray away from God, that sin will be forgiven. Don't trust in those other things that you think might save you because it's only me that loves you. It's only me that can save you. Now, I think it's important to note here um, that God is calling all sinners, all sinners, to return to him. But there's more. There's more than just a simple return and salvation that goes with this good news of Hosea. And we're going to read more about that in the following verses in a moment. But I want to plant this idea here in our minds and our hearts now. When we come back to God, when we return to him, we bring with us baggage. We have things in our lives that we have picked up along on our wayward journeys. In other words, returning to God, it's one of those things that it takes some time. Unpacking all of the stuff that's in our lives is a process. It's not an immediate thing. When Gomer came back to Hosea, she still had that life of prostitution on her. And it would take some time to get rid of it, right? When we come back to God, we carry with us some of the issues that are a result of our sin, 
the consequences of our sin. And, and God is calling us not only, though, then to return to him, but also to put down roots with him, to, to make a home with him, to have a long-term relationship with him. We have to be aware that we need some time after we return to, to sort out our issues. So there's a story that I think about with this, and um, I, I knew a guy growing up that was a follower of Jesus. This is when I was younger in um, high school. One day uh, he, decided, he decided to abandon his faith. I don't know why, um, but one day he quit all of his Christian relationships. He, he quit uh, coming to church. Uh, and this, this was a guy that, um, like, everyone understood him. He was, he was a fixture in the church, and, and then for a few years he just he's quit coming. Everyone knew him, and it was strange not to see him around the church for a long time. And then one Sunday, one Sunday, he came back. He had some kind of an epiphany about God, and he came back to church. And, and that's, that's one of the wonderful things, that, that whenever we stray from God, whenever we turn our backs on him, whenever we willfully walk away, we still have an opportunity to come back to him. That's the story of Gomer, right? It's the story of the prodigal son. There's stories like this all throughout the text. Well, this is true for this guy. Whenever um, you know, he, 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 he discovered God, he rediscovered him, and he, and he showed back up in church. And everyone noticed. Everyone saw him. So he comes back this one week, and he, he sits in the very back of the church. Everyone thought it was a little bit strange, but that was okay. The next week he comes back, and, and this time he doesn't sit in the back row. He sits kind of in the middle. Sits in the middle of the pews and everyone's noticing and, you know, he, he moved up a little bit because everyone knows that our spiritual acuity is measured by where we sit in the sanctuary. That's right. I'm praying for you guys. Yeah. Second week, he's back sitting in the middle of the church. Everyone notices. The third week, he comes back. He's sitting on the front row. Only the pastor's family. <laughs> Well, makes sense. I'm just kidding. Um, now he's sitting back on the front row, and everyone notices. In the fourth week, he comes back. He sits on the front row again. And then at the end of the service, it's time for prayer. He, he raises up his hand. And he says, God, fill me up. And there's this woman who's been paying attention to this guy for the last few weeks. And uh, she's a little skeptical. She'd known the guy. She knew him for the last few years and all the things that he had been doing. And, and so when he prays for God to fill him up, she said her own prayer. She said, God, be careful because he leaks. He leaks, right? Yeah, he, even the most faithful followers of Jesus have a leakage problem. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Sometimes we, we turn from God and, and we continue to sin. This is, this is true for Gomer. This is true for Israel. It doesn't matter if we've been saved, bought by the blood of Christ, forgiven. We still have these issues and this baggage in our life that comes with us. And we need time with the Father to be healed, to be sanctified, to be made more like Jesus, to get rid of our baggage. Let's just be honest. Sin is something that's prevalent in our world and in our society, and and we are susceptible to it. I mean, just reflect back on the recent political season that we came through. How many of us 
are trusting more in the leaders that we elect to resolve the issues in our world than we are trusting in God to deal with those things. That's idolatry. How often are our decisions driven more by the money that's in our wallets than by what God wants for us? I mean, are, are we worshiping things more than we're worshiping God? How often do we consider making a significant change in our lives? Not because we're concerned with honoring God, but because we think that it's going to be better for our kids. It's going to benefit them more. What do we place in our lives before God? That's all I'm asking. You know, we get into a habit of doing these kinds of things, of putting stuff, people, work, pleasure, all of these things before God. And then when we see him for who he is, for how much he loves us, and in earnest we return to him, it takes time then when we come back for us to reorient our thinking and our doing so that we can honor God instead of those things. This is the baggage that we carry. All of us baggage. That needs to be healed. And, and this is a we thing. I'm not innocent here. In fact, most of you can probably assume that the sins that I just listed in that thing are really my sins. This is what I deal with. The baggage that I carry with me that God is helping me to work through. So with that, what I also realize is that you probably have a different list. Other things that are in your life that steal attention away from God. Things that you need to unpack before him so that he can put correct order into your life. And right now, just for a moment, I want you to think about those things. What is it for you? What's your list? What's your things that you put before God? Identify them in your mind. Now, I want to be clear. A lot of the things that we have in our lives are not sinful uh, on their own. It's not sinful to love our kids. It's not sinful to promote or elect someone uh, who we think is going to be the best leader for our country. It's not sinful for us to buy or consume things. That's not sin. The sin comes in when we place those things before God in our lives. And, and God wants to reorder our lives so that we don't chase after those things because they will always fail us. Putting God first leads to a life that flourishes. That's what he wants for us, to live a life that flourishes. And, and so the question I want to ask us this morning is, is, how do we get there? How do we let God do the work in our lives so that we can flourish? If returning to God is not just about arriving at home, but it's also about putting down roots so that we can be strong there at home and then grow up and seek the righteousness of God, then how do we do it? Hosea ten twelve says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Break up your fallow ground. This is ground that's ready to have a seed sown into it so it can produce. A person who's returning to the Lord is one who is ready to receive the truths of God being sown into them. So that those truths can grow up and bear the fruit of righteousness. And God will take that ground that's ready. He'll sow that truth into our lives and he will water it with his righteousness. This is something that we don't have to do on our own. But 
we have to be willing. We have to be willing to sit with God, to seek his face, to learn his truths, to listen to his precepts, and to walk in his mercy. This means that we have to demonstrate some patience, the patience of being present with God, of taking time to be with him during our day in the middle of the week, not just on Sundays when we come to church, but other times sitting before the Lord with no distraction, reading his word, reflecting on his truth and how it applies to our life. And I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, this is one of the hardest things to do. This is where I really struggle because at the end of a long day or a long week, all I want to do is just kind of create, I just want to create some distraction or escape from the stress that I have in my life, right? I'd rather watch TV or um, surf on the web uh, or on Amazon, all the things I want to buy. Ooh, I wish I could have that. Anything, anything to take my mind off of life before I fall asleep. And then in the morning, it's so painful to think about waking up before I have to so that I can sit and be with the Lord. But that kind of sacrifice, that's part of what it means to come home and be with God. It means giving up the past, not living the way that we used to live. Remember, this is what Hosea said to Gomer after he bought her back. This is Hosea 3, chapter 3, um, chapter three, verse 3. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. It's with this act of giving up our old life and, and living with God that we become more like him. Hosea twelve six reinforces this idea. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. God, God is saying here, look, I've redeemed you from the prison that your sin has put you in. You're free now. I've, I found you in the marketplace where you were being sold and I brought you home. Now I want you to change. I want you to grow. I want you to be more like me. I'm not saying I want you to return and just dabble around a little bit in all of this. I want you to commit to this so that you can be made more and more like me. God has plans for us. What does that look like? Let's finish reading Hosea chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 4. He says this, he says, I will heal their apostasy, that's their turning and running from God. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon, his shoot shall spread out, his beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. For me comes your fruit. I will heal your apostasy, God says. I will love you freely. For my anger is turned from you. God is saying that he will heal these people. He will heal us. Those of us who have denounced this turning away from him. 
those of us who will come back to him and his anger is gone. This is the kind of relentless love that this book is all about. God's love doesn't stop. And, 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 and it doesn't make any sense to us. This is something that, that we can't really comprehend, but this is what he chooses to do when we return. We can't explain this kind of love. We can't because we don't offer the same kind of love to anything or anyone in our lives. But just because we are not relentless in our love doesn't mean that God isn't as well. Just because we don't know what it means to give relentless love doesn't mean that God doesn't offer us a relentless love. This is a false narrative that Satan wants us to believe. That God shows us love in the same way that we show it to others or anything else in our lives. It's just plain wrong. I heard this story once about a guy who had abandoned his faith. And um, he was, this by the way is another guy, not the same one from earlier. I need new friends. Anyway, um, he's out fishing and uh, he's with his friends, guys who didn't know Jesus and, uh, and the storm comes up on them, and they're, they're in this boat. And this is a storm that could totally wreck this boat, you know, sink it and kill them. And uh, his friend said, you should pray. You should pray that God's going to save us. And, and he was like, I, you know, I haven't prayed to, fi- in, to God in 15 years. I don't know if this is a good idea or what good it's going to do. Um, but they convinced him. And uh, his prayer went a little bit like this. It says, God, I haven't asked you for anything in 15 years. But if you could save us today, then I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. (laughs) This is funny. Seriously, though, how often, though, do we think like this? How How often do we think that we're bothering God when we come to him? I mean, let's be honest. I think it's, it's probably more true that, that we bother God when we run from him than when we come to him. God wants to be with us. He wants us to be close to him. That's his desire for us. See, the gospel of Jesus and Hosea are about this, this return to God. And, and this time that we can stay with him and grow up with him. And I want to point something out here. It's easy for us. It's easy for us to be saved. Anyone in any place in their life can return home to God. He accepts us just as we are, broken, with baggage, whatever. God is relentless in his love. And he, he, he is so loving, though, that he doesn't want us to stay that way. He doesn't want us to keep that baggage. He doesn't want us to remain broken. Yes, he accepts us, but his love, if we allow it to, will change us. This is the full gospel. When we dwell with God, our lives will flourish. And what I love about the rest of this passage in Hosea 14 and the many others that, are reflect, that reflect the same idea throughout Scripture is that the change that happens in us, this flourishing, this growth, this fruit, it's not something that we are responsible for in any way. We don't have to do the work to become beautiful or desirable to be what God wants us to be. That's not our responsibility. Our only responsibility is to return to him and to sit with him while he does the rest of the work. Hosea 15, 14, 5 and following says this, I will be like the dew of Israel, and Israel shall blossom like the lily. By the way, we are Israel in this. 
Israel shall take root like the trees of Lebanon, and Israel's shoots shall spread out. Israel's beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Now, I want us to resolve here today with this image of dew. I will be like the dew to Israel. And the order that's presented here in verse 5 is, is important. It says, God, God says that I will be like the dew first. That's the first thing that comes in this text. I will be like the dew to Israel, and then Israel will flourish. See, the water, it nourishes. The water is what produces the beautiful flower. It waters the deep roots that are put down. God provides all that we need first. And then flourishing happens. This dew is, is very much like the Holy Spirit. And, and one way, side note, one way to um, follow through on returning to God, sitting with him and seeking his face, one way to do that might be to do a word study on dew. D-E-W. In the Old Testament, uh, it comes up about 26 or 28 times, depending on your translation. And it's described as something that we need to grow. It's compared to wisdom, the wisdom of God, the presence of God. It's a nourishing water. Water, which is also used to describe the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the text. God will come in by the power of the Holy Spirit and be the things that we need so that we can grow up into God. Those things that we don't have on our own, he'll be those for us. It's by his power. It's by his spirit. He will help us to be and to do and to become what we need to be and to do and to become. He does the work. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we experience a new existence, a new nature, a new life that bears fruit. Fruit that we wouldn't have without him. See, this is the story of Hosea. That God comes into our lives because of his unrelenting love. And he builds us into a people that bear fruit, that produce something of value. Without him, without his work, we are nothing. But by him, by his work, by his power, we are something. This week, we lit the fourth candle of the Advent wreath, the tallest one here. And this is the candle that represents joy. It's the joy that we have because of the relentless love of God. The, the love of God that buys us back even though we've run from him. The love of God that's in our lives even though we may still run from him. See, we have a whole lot to celebrate this holiday season. Jesus' birth, it really does mark the same storyline as when Hosea first set out to marry Gomer. Jesus' patience uh, with the people is the same kind of patience that Hosea displayed with Gomer when she cheated on him. Jesus' truth and teaching is the same as Hosea naming his children the way he did. And Jesus' death upon the cross it's the same as what Hosea paid to free Gomer from a life as a sex slave. Jesus sending his Holy Spirit to guide his disciples, to grow them up in the truth. It's the same as the dew that God gives to water and to nourish Israel. 
and Jesus' final return. That return that we are still waiting for. It's the same as those who have chosen to dwell with God and be with him when they understand what it means to blossom fully. And so we wait. We wait for Jesus to return. We wait, and when we do, we grow more and more like him, and we deepen our roots in God. And it's because of God's unrelenting love for us that this can happen. So today, I, wanna, I want us to worship God. I want to worship his love for us. I want to worship his son's sacrifice for us. And I want us to worship the fact that Jesus is going to return to us so that we can experience the fullness of life with him. So let's yearn today for the return of our Savior Jesus. I ask you to please stand and pray with me as we continue to worship. Father God, we thank you for all that you give to us. We thank you for your love, a love that we don't deserve but yet you offer to us anyway. A love that you bring to us even when we're lost, even when we are playing the whore, you offer it to us. Thank you, God. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that he came to be with us, to live with us, to show us the truth, and ultimately to take our sin and nail it upon a cross so that we could be forgiven of those sins, that we might be redeemed and have a relationship with you, God. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his resurrection, for his victory over death, for his victory over the grave. And we thank you that he gave to us the Holy Spirit so that we can be transformed more into your likeness. And we say, yes, may we be transformed more into your likeness, God. Let us stay with you. Let us sit with you. Let us drink you in so that we can be more and more like you, God. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's worship, church. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.